leads um, OH1 um, with Joe, um, her husband, um, a real woman of integrity that has journeyed um, and explored Sabbath um, massively um, over the last few years, which is why we really wanted to um, use this opportunity of um, these guys being here to hear um, your heart, some of the theology behind Sabbath, and um, then I've got the challenge of trying to follow it up next week, um, which is going to be challenging to reach these heights. But yeah, so let me pray for you and then we'll get going. So yeah, Lord Jesus, I just thank you um, for us being able to gather here together this morning to worship your name, to um, hear from your words. And God, I just pray that as we uh, listen to the words um, that are on Stacey's heart this morning, that um, it just touches us afresh and challenges us to um, reconsider what rest means in our lives and for our rhythms of uh, following and learning to apprentice under you, Jesus. Amen. Great. So, yes, my name is Stacey. Um, I'm married to Joe, and we have a little boy called Aaron, and we have another one on the way, um, which I realize not everyone in this room might know, even Open Heaveners. Um, so there you go. And um, <laughs> we are part of Open Heaven Church. Um, sorry, guys. We're on the... <laughs> got to do it somehow. We're on the um, senior leadership <laughs> team. Um, Joe and I are on the senior leadership team, and we lead OH1, which is our 18 to 30s expression of open heaven. So, yeah, we've been on the island this weekend. You can tell which ones are from Loughborough because we have red faces. That's how you can identify us. Um, so, yeah, I love that you're in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, there's so much depth to the text, isn't there? And there's so much story um, for us to chew on and to consider as we go deeper into discipleship. And so we're going to be in chapters 10 and 13 of Nehemiah. So do get your Bibles out. Um, there'll also be some text on the screen as well. So we're going to be in those two chapters, but I'm going to be joining some of the dots around that as well. I want to give just a little bit um, of a summary so that as we get to these chapters, we kind of land with the same context um, as we delve into this and specifically what it's saying about our topic today on Sabbath. Apologize to anyone in open heaven who's heard this talk so many times around Sabbath. It's a bit of a heart message um, for me. So the backgrounds of these, uh, the background of these two kind of books, um, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and its temple. And so the Jews were held captive in Bab Babylon for around 70 years. And so the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, Rach said this week one, they would have been one work originally. And these two books basically tell the story of three men who were restoring rebuilding and reviving. That's kind of the headline of your series. So Zerubbabel um, rebuilt the temple, great name. Um, Ezra, he taught the Torah and he rebuilt the community. And then you've got Nehemiah who very famously rebuilt the walls. And so this is an incredible story of the Jewish people returning to their homeland, rebuilding their temple, their city, and their lives. But it's a bit of a strange, strange book in one sense. Because if you were to watch on YouTube the Bible Project video on Ezra and Nehemiah, which is worth watching, um, they kind of outline this excellently. But just for now, essentially each stage of the rebuilding ends with an anticlimax and opposition. And so things are never as great in reality as the incredible rebuilding of the walls sounds. 
And this is kind of where we get to in chapters 8 through 12. So chapters 8 through 12 are Nehemiah and Ezra joining together in an effort to bring spiritual renewal to the community. And it's so desperately needed that. And so they read and they teach the Torah. They celebrate together as a community. They confess sin and worship. And if you read it in the text, it says for three hours, no less. And then they vow to renew the covenant and to follow the Torah. And so chapter 8, I know you've hit on this already, but it's this beautiful confession littered with the people of God's story and history. And it's essentially them saying, God, we keep messing this up. We keep being unfaithful, but you are graciously faithful to us. And so in Nehemiah 9, verse 38, this is what the people say. In view of all of this, in view of all of this story, our history, in view of your faithfulness to us, regardless of our unfaithfulness, We are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. And so the people are making their commitment to God. And so chapter 10 then begins with a long list of names of those who sealed this agreement. And then we get into their vow to follow God's law. And to kind of summarize those for you, verse 30 is essentially a promise to be holy and to be set apart. Verse 31 is the promise to keep the Sabbath. Verse 32, a promise to give financially to the temple of God. Verse 35, a promise to give of their first fruits. And then verse 36 kind of touches on the promise to give of their firstborn sons, their firstborn herd and flock. And then verse 39 is a promise not to neglect the temple of their God. So I find it interesting that Sabbath makes it into this list of promises. And if you listen to the defined intent that hangs in their promise around Sabbath, this is what they say, Nehemiah 10. So get this open in your Bibles. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 31. It's also on the screen. And it says this, When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forgo working the land and will cancel all debts. So things are kind of looking up at that point. That's a pretty good commitment to make. But then that narrative of chapter 8 that I've already touched on, it basically replays. So chapter 11 contains a record of those who occupied Jerusalem. Chapter 12, a history of the priests and Levites, a dedication of the temple. But then we get to Nehemiah chapter 13, and basically things are unraveling pretty fast. So there's one guy who's in charge of the house of God, and he's basically let his mate store his stuff in the storeroom. So Nehemiah kicks off and throws all of the stuff out. The Levites and the musicians had left, abandoning the house of God and their service to it. The walls weren't being maintained. People were sleeping on the job. And then this is where we get to with where things are at with the Sabbath. So flick over a couple of pages. Nehemiah chapter 13. This is verses 15 to verses 22. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kind of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. 
When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not be opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. And so here I am all the way from Loughborough with a convicting message to tell you to stop treading the wine press on the Sabbath. To stop bringing grain into Anglesey on your donkey on the Sabbath. And of course, to please stop selling fish on the Sabbath. Obviously, I jest. But how many of us can say that we read these verses and we understand the heart of Sabbath? That we truly understand what this day was and is and what God's heart really is for us. Because honestly, sometimes when we read these verses in Nehemiah and actually see Nehemiah's reaction to it, which is pretty intense, as we read other scriptures about Sabbath, they can seem out of date, irrelevant, and if we're totally honest, I think sometimes straight up religious. So you'll be pleased to know that, as Alan said, my journey into Sabbath um, has been ongoing for some time now with its ups and downs, um, but that I love digging into scripture, I love reading books and listening to podcasts, and so I have a fair amount to share on all of this, and this is just kind of a condensed um, summary of that. And so on top of that, I carry a really strong and an ever-deepening conviction that in our 24-7, fast-paced, constantly connected culture of more, Sabbath is not only countercultural, but it's actually a lifeline that we all need. If you, as a church, are going to be as effective as you can be in your mission to follow Jesus, to build church, and to love Anglesey, then you will need Sabbath. But... From just these couple of verses, which were essentially the people's promise to Sabbath and then their failure to follow it through, I don't think we can quite gauge what Sabbath is, why we need it, and how to practice it in our own lives. We have to go further back into Scripture, trace some of the first mentions of Sabbath. And so I want to pick on three key Scriptures today and unpack three key areas relating to Sabbath. So firstly, the history of Sabbath. What does Scripture show us of Sabbath? Is it Old Covenant and therefore completely irrelevant? The heart of Sabbath. What's the point of this God-given day? And then the art of Sabbath, because it is an art form. It's not as simple as just deciding to do it and then do it. It takes practice. It takes time. And particularly if you're married with a family, it takes planning and good communication. So I'm going to have to go at quite a pace. So strap yourself in um, because we're going to go for it. So back to the beginning of your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2. Flick this open again. It's on the screen. So chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Perhaps one we all know. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So simply, when we look at it, God worked. This isn't a God who's sitting on the clouds with angels doing his job. He's active, he's involved, he's passionately creative. So work isn't a bad thing. God worked. God worked really hard. There's not many of us who can get to the end of our working week and say we created the universe. But also God rested. 
So God isn't anxious about the world not working in his absence. He rested from his work. And so in God's working and God's resting, we see a God-ordained rhythm to creation that is established. In Exodus chapter 20, which is the giving of the Ten Commandments, and we'll touch on this shortly, um, Moses recites the command regarding the Sabbath. Again, there's a slide for this now. And it say, he, this is what he says, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And then he gives the reason why. So he says, For, which means here comes the reason, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. But he rested on the seventh day. In other words, the seventh day is a Sabbath to God and you don't work because God has ordained a creation rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest. And so we keep Sabbath to live in sync with the God-ordained rhythm of creation. There's a guy called Walter Brueggemann, um, and he's a great writer, thinker, teacher on Sabbath. Um, he's written a book about it, but he also has some lectures that you can find on YouTube. And in one of his lectures, he states that the rhythm of creation cannot be safely violated. In short, when we break that rhythm of creation, there are consequences. When we never switch off from the media, from social networking, from the internet, our lives essentially shrink. We fail to look up and to look out, to see and to live from a different perspective, from God's perspective. When we don't have the space or the time to be fully present with family, with friends, with God, it means we rush relationship and we accept shallow surface connection in the place of deep committed covenant. And when we don't break from the 24-7 commercial market, we become addicted consumers, unable to stop with an insatiable desire for more. We lose gratitude, we lose thankfulness, we lose deep contentment. And so we Sabbath, we keep Sabbath because God has ordained a balance of work and rest, knowing what we need in order to live in his fullness. And the final thing to say on this passage, and probably my favorite bit, is that God blessed the animals, then God blesses the human beings, and then he blesses the seventh day. And so God blessed the animals and the humans with the ability to procreate, to be fruitful and multiply. And when God blesses the seventh day, he uses exactly the same word. That means that the seventh day, the Sabbath, is infused with a life-giving ability to fill the earth up with more life. And so we keep Sabbath to receive life from the life giver. That's cool, isn't it? So let's move on to our second text then, Exodus chapter 20. Jump forward a few pages in your Bible. So if you've ever read or were to read the book of Exodus, um, you would read the story of the Israelite people. And so from chapter 1, we see that they're oppressed. Um, Moses is born. He flees to Midian. He has that burning bush encounter with God where he's called. Then Moses returns to Egypt with his brother Aaron to confront Pharaoh. We then get those seven plagues. And finally, Pharaoh decides that he will let the Israelites go. However, he changes his mind, doesn't he, shortly after, which starts that high-speed chase to the sea, which God miraculously departs, and the Israelites walk through unharmed. And it closes in on the Egyptians, killing some and finally allowing the Israelites to walk to freedom. Then on the first day of the third month since their escape, 
God calls Moses and Aaron to the top of Mount Sinai, and he speaks the Ten Commandments, which other people sometimes refer to as the Ten Words, which I think is probably a better translation because I think commandment can have a negative connotation for us, can't it? And so the Sabbath is the fourth word in the Ten Commandments. And interestingly, it's one of the longest commandments. Have you ever noticed that when you read it? So why this kind of backstory on the Israelites? Well, because A, I love context, but also because it was the context um, in which God gave these commands. He makes it actually crystal clear. The beginning of the Ten Commandments is this. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's the context for the command or the words. Um, There's a commentary that absolutely nails highlighting this, and it says, to people nurtured, On the values of Western democracy, the laws of the Hebrew Bible contained mostly in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers can seem harsh and unreasonable. Surprisingly, perhaps, the people of Israel never regarded them in that way. And though God was to be honored and respected, observing the requirements of the law was never regarded as a heavy burden. On the contrary, it was something to be kept with great joy, for the people looked back beyond the smoke and fire of Sinai to the events that went before it. And in that context, they could see that God's law was very firmly based on God's love and that their continued obedience was the free and loving devotion of those who are grateful for unexpected and undeserved benefits. It is no coincidence then that the Ten Commandments begin not with an instruction, but with a reminder of God's love and goodness. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt where you were slaves. So in the light of that context, now let's read together in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, the Sabbath, the Sabbath commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall do your labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it's really crucial that we understand this. The Israelites did not have a day of rest in Egypt. They were slaves. In fact, the whole narrative of Pharaoh's system isn't that dissimilar to our culture. You only need to dip into chapter 5 of Exodus and you kind of get a feel for what Walter Brueggemann refers to as the grind of endless production. Here's a couple of examples again on the screen. Exodus 5 verse 4. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Exodus 5.14, and Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? And so the Israelites were slaves to a system that demanded more, well, yet the more was never enough. Does that sound familiar at all? Days of rest weren't productive, and so they weren't part of their relentlessly demanding socioeconomic system. It's perhaps similar to what we read in Nehemiah. The traders trade on the Sabbath because to them it's another day to make money. It's another day to get ahead in their business, in their work. It's another day for productivity. But as the Israelites crossed through the sea, which mirrored the waters of baptism, they became a free people. And so in that context, God gave them the Sabbath, a day of rest. And so slaves don't get a Sabbath. Children of God do. The Sabbath is a gift of God to a free people. 
And so when we refuse to live in the rhythm of rest that God has ordained, we become enslaved again. And this freedom, it comes from something. It's freedom from that Exodus 5 narrative. It's freedom from the gods and the socioeconomic system, including Pharaoh, who relentlessly demanded more. And so we can live free from the fear that drives 24-7 work. We are free from the drivenness that demands getting ahead in work. We're free from that anxiety that says there's never enough time. And so Sabbath became a visible performance of the identity of the people of God. It contrasted how they organized their time and their lives to the empire that was all around them. That's what Nehemiah chapter 10 is touching on. They're refusing to find their identity and their rhythm in the culture around them, but they are rerouting it into the truth of being God's people. Walter Brueggemann challenges, why can't Sabbath be a visible performance of Christian identity, standing against the empire we now live in? Let me say that again. Why can't Sabbath be a visible performance of Christian identity, standing against the empire we now live in? What a fantastic challenge. In the midst of a culture that doesn't know how to slow down, is obsessed with selfies and sharing our best 10% with online shopping, 24-hour Tesco, with jobs that require way more than we have to give and an office that is constantly at our fingertips. Imagine what a statement we would make as a people if we stopped weekly for a whole 24-hour period to rest, abide, trust and get our souls back. Imagine the incredible declaration that you as Lighthouse Church would make to your friends, to your colleagues, to your communities, and to Anglesey as a whole, if you adopted this countercultural God-ordained rhythm. Imagine the impact that could have. And so Sabbath becomes an act of resistance. It's resistance to the cultural demand for more and a refusal to be identified by productivity. And what does this resistance teach our children? Well, it teaches through profoundly countercultural living that their lives are not defined by the busyness of production and acquisitiveness. It shows them that God's ways are different, that He is good and He is trustworthy. I want my children to live in those truths. And so it's not just an act of resistance, but it's actually a submission as well. We don't resist simply to resist. We resist in order that we may submit. Sabbath is an act of submission to God. In resisting, we say no to being defined by our culture. And instead, we submit, opting to be defined by our relationship to God. We submit trusting that God is enough for us that he will provide for us, and that the only more needed in our lives is more of him. Again, that's what we see in Nehemiah, and it's no coincidence that their commitment that they spoke out around Sabbath, it flowed out of their confession and their repentance, which are acts of humility and submission. But we can't pretend that this isn't deeply challenging, can we? The resistance, this submission, they are huge acts of faith. Exodus chapter 16 speaks of this. So God speaks to Moses and instructs the Israelites. Again, this is on a slide, I believe, Nay. And he says this, 
This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. And so you see that the Israelites had to trust God's provision for them. The people of God in Nehemiah had to trust God's provision for them as they struck off a whole day of work. And so we learn through Sabbath that if we stop, the world doesn't. That God is God and we aren't. That he provides for us that we don't provide for ourselves. And so Sabbath is an act of faith. In Sabbath, we are trusting that God is indeed God. Now jump forward in your Bibles to the New Testament. I wanted to make sure we got some New Testament in here as well. So turn to Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. This is our last um, scripture. So Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, again on the screen. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So there's no command in the New Testament to Sabbath, but the Gospels, including exactly what we've just read here, reveal that Jesus observed the Sabbath. And in fact, he showed the true purpose, the true intent of the Sabbath commandment. And so the Sabbath was a gift, and it still stands as a gift to us. It's not a New Testament command, but it is wisdom. And actually, that God-ordained rhythm of creation that we started with in Genesis, that remains, that still stands. Now, many of Jesus' healings took place on the Sabbath, as with this one we've just read. And is that a coincidence? I don't think so. In this passage in Mark's gospel alone, we can see Jesus' intentionality in revealing to the people that they'd missed the heart of Sabbath, as they did with so many of his teachings. And so Jesus does what they believe is unlawful on the Sabbath. He heals this man. But in that one act... A man gets his hand restored, and Jesus emphatically demonstrates that the Sabbath is a day for healing and restoration. And that's not just physical, that's emotional healing too. The Sabbath heals and restores our souls. And so from these just three scriptures, we can see that Sabbath is a beautiful gift of God. It's a reflection of the God-ordained rhythm of creation, which is infused with life-giving ability. Through this gift, we resist the brokenness of our culture and we submit to the God of freedom in whom is wholeness and life to the full. And in this act of participating in this day, we place our hope and our trust back into God, affirming that he is in control. And the gift of Sabbath is this, that as we lift our eyes to him and celebrate his goodness in our lives, we get ourselves back, refreshed rested and restored. Anybody here think, yeah, I want a bit of that in my life? Probably most of us. 
So let's finish then with some practical stuff. I want to touch on the art of Sabbath. I've had to condense this a lot, um, but hopefully it will just kind of give you some thoughts for you to discuss in your small groups and in your community. So the, the art of Sabbath. So the word Sabbath is um, from the Hebrew, Shabbat, and it means to celebrate, to delight in God, and to cease. To celebrate, to delight in God, and to cease. And so a few kind of key headlines for you as you hopefully go into this um, process of beginning to figure out what Sabbath looks like for you. It's important for us to recognize that Sabbath is different to a day off. And day off is just another day of work. You're catching up on errands, doing internet banking, mowing the lawn, doing the food shopping, doing housework. But Sabbath is about a day when we are fully available and present to God, to our families, to our friends. It's about slowing down. Or as Peter Scazzaro puts it in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says, stopping to breathe the air of eternity. And so Sabbath is actually this chance to enjoy the end product of six days of hard labor, to cease and to celebrate. Sabbath is different to a day off. The second one, Sabbath doesn't come easy. We've talked about our culture, and because of that, it's hard, isn't it, to get a break from our relentless culture. And actually, deeper than that, I think our souls can sometimes struggle to rest. Do you ever get that, where you've got a few minutes and you end up faffing on your phone or just busying yourself with something? Walter Brueggemann, again, refers to Pharaoh's system when he says, the departure into restfulness is both urgent and difficult, for our motors are set to brick-making speed. He's referring to the Israelites making those bricks. And so it doesn't come easy. And because of that, it requires a commitment from us. We have to commit to Sabbath, to practicing it, to learning, to trial and error. We used to get so many of our Sabbath days wrong and just end up more stressed probably because we were learning what rest actually looks like and feels like for us as a family and different people. So we're all different. What looks like ceasing and celebrating and rest to me may look completely different for you. I wouldn't do strenuous exercise on the Sabbath because it's not restful. That might be just the thing that you need to do. So what we do for our Sabbath may look completely different, but our need for Sabbath is exactly the same. And so it needs protecting. One of the biggest challenges is fitting it in, isn't it? Listen to how stupid this is. We're so busy in our busy culture that we can't find space to take a break from the busyness. It's true of our lives, isn't it? But it's so dumb in many ways. <laughs> We're subject to this. But if you're too busy to Sabbath, then you really do need Sabbath. Let me say that again. If you're too busy to Sabbath, you really need Sabbath. And so we have to protect it. In the same way we protect our marriage nights, our nights or our dates with our kids, socials, friends, exercise classes, we have to protect the Sabbath. And then finally, the Sabbath needs preparation. Um, so practically, we have to prepare for it. If, for example, you're going to disconnect from the internet on your Sabbath, you might have a few things that you need to wrap up first on your phone, on your laptop, or with work. So preparation might include food shopping, cleaning, preparing meals, checking the weather forecast, making fantasy football changes, ringing someone, finalizing some emails, checking your internet banking, whatever you need to do to be able to enter into your Sabbath, not having all of those things in your mind. So just some suggestions um, to close. This isn't a list of do's or don'ts, but this is about creating a space and an environment to fully embrace the gift of Sabbath. And so when you're in this process, process of deciding what shall I do then, um, a really good grid to run everything through is, is this worship? Is this rest? Simple questions. Is this worship? 
is this rest? If the answer is no to either or both of those, then just save it for the next day. You've got six other days to do that. So a few headlines then. Disconnect. Switch off your Wi-Fi, power down your phone, whatever it looks like. Just be fully present with the day, with God, with your family, your friends, your community. Disconnect. Second one, which is great for you guys where you are, get outdoors. Get in creation. Get your soul back. Take some time to embrace gratitude and thankfulness. Eat well. Feast. Take your time over meals. Someone the other day in a podcast that I listened to were like, sit down when you eat. Like a way of slowing down because if we stand eating, we're rushing. Take time to enjoy good food and good company. Rest from cleaning and tidying. That's a big one for me. For some of us, I know that's not so much of a big deal. But you might need to be able to somehow switch off from the chores and the cleaning and the dust that is looking at your face. Connect with God. So reflect and meditate on scripture, read a good book, worship, speak in tongues, pray, whatever that looks like. Find ways of connecting with God. Don't covet. This is a hard one. It's a day to focus on what we do have, not to sit and to focus on all the stuff that we need or we want in our lives. Put the Argos catalog away. Whatever it is you need to do, it's just a day to enjoy the plenty that we have. And sleep well. This looks different for different ones of us. Early nights, daytime naps, whatever you have to do in order to get some good rest in the season that you're in right now. Rest and sleep well. And my testimony of Sabbath, like I said, the ups and downs. Sometimes it feels like we're in a good rhythm with it. Other times we just struggle to get it in. And that's the same challenge that we all face. But we have to push against this. But my testimony is that it has and it is a day of freedom that I don't have. It's not I don't have access to that freedom on other days. But that intentional break from work and productivity restores my soul in a way that is only possible through a weekly intentional 24-hour window of Sabbath. And so Sabbath has become this part of my freedom journey in relation to drivenness for productivity, for perfection, for control. In ceasing, I've learned or unlearned some old patterns of thinking and being. We get to have our hearts and our minds transformed into what God has really called us to be. And so Sabbath has become a huge part of me getting and staying emotionally healthy. And I think if we practice that, we would all find something of that. And this is by no means the point or the purpose of Sabbath. Um, but there's a saying that goes, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. The idea is that as we put this rhythm in our lives, it actually starts to impact the rest of the six days of the week. And that's a really good thing. So the Sabbath is an invitation from God to his creation. When we don't take his invitation and we fight the rhythm that has been built into creation, we become fatigued, worn out, anxious with a soul that feels empty. These are the, the results of a life without Sabbath rest. Ignoring the rhythm of creation leaves us operating from fatigue and overextendedness. But the beauty of Sabbath is hearts reconnected to God and to one another. It's hearts refreshed and rested in trust of God. It's lives that are re-energized and re-envisioned for the next six days. It's a people who have got themselves back. And God graciously invites us, God graciously invites you to share in the gift of Sabbath. 
So we're going to pop a prayer up on the screen. Um, the band are going to come up and just sing over us, basically. And um, Oh, that's not very clear. Um, I'd love us to pray this prayer together, um, but we're not going to do that instantly. We're going to let the band um, just sing over us as we each have an opportunity to just reflect on some of that, some of those scriptures, some of what God's saying. Um, and then we will have an opportunity to pray through this prayer together, which is essentially a um, us recognizing um, how we can operate in busyness, in productivity, um, and in that pace of life, and a repentance from that, and a turning to God, a, a decision to participate in his um, rhythm of creation. So why don't you get to your feet if you're able. Um, like I say, the band are going to sing over us. The prayer is going to just be left on the screen um, throughout this time, and then I will pop back up in a minute or so and lead us through in this prayer. Faithful 
together but before we do that I thought um, sometimes our physical bodies can reflect um, what's happening in our heart and a sense of submission so like I said Sabbath is an act of submission and so I just wanted to encourage you to um, assume a position that reflects that so you might want to kneel down you might want to stretch your arms out whatever that looks like for you Um, but this is essentially a prayer like you know, like the, the people in Nehemiah prayed, I'm, like, I'm going to commit to this. I want to figure out what this looks like. I want to live in your um, your rhythm. This is essentially a prayer for that. And so if that kind of reflects where your heart's at and how you want to respond, then let's just um, find whatever that position looks like. Um, and then we're going to pray this um, together. Gracious God, hear my desire to live much less of a driven life and much more of a called life. I want to live with less fear and more freedom, less by frenzy and more by faith, with fewer obsessions and more adoration, with less distraction and more presence, with no anxiety but a heart of peace. I repent of the fear of not being enough and having enough and look to you, the God of all I need. I repent of self-reliance and turn my heart to dependence on you. I repent of my distracted heart and draw my focus back to you, Jesus. I repent of the brokenness in my heart that seeks fulfillment in status wealth, possessions, and productivity. Amen. Do you guys just want to sing that? Um, is it the bridge? Whatever bit that is, I will rest in your promises. Um, but why don't you just sing that over us? And Why don't you just um, receive from God right now? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about what this could look like in your life, um, in the areas that he wants to give you more freedom. So just allow these guys to sing that over you and for the Holy Spirit to come and to minister to you.
So Lord Jesus, we, as we rest in you, we just pray that um, as we leave here today, that we um, journey closer into the rhythms of life that mean that we can work and flow in rhythm to your creation and to your kingdom, God. That we are not people that are working from burnout, that are working at our extent, but we can work hard, but we can also rest hard in your kingdom, God. Lord, do a deep work in our hearts. That means that we will live counterculturally. Just to say, I think that was a fantastic prayer. Certainly for me, this is a real challenge this morning. So thank you, Stacey. But um, I was just ch checking and we'll be able to make that available so that we've got access to that prayer because I think I'd certainly like to sort of look through that and take time again with it. So thank you. Yeah, if you remind me, I'll put it onto the notice email that you all have signed up to um, if you would like to keep up to date with um, all that is happening at Capital Galeri Morn. Sorted. Seamless. Thanks, Karen. Um, so, yeah, great. Um, that is the end of our gathering. Um, now, we would say go collect your children. Um, however, everyone with children apart from us and Chrissy um, aren't here today. Um, oh, and uh, hiya. So, um, yeah, that is the official end of our gathering. However, we are hanging around to um, share lunch together. Um, everyone is welcome in this. We have some practicalities to do first, which is clear the decks, i.e. all this stuff. Um, probably stack up some of the chairs and put those um, round to the sides, and then we'll wheel out a few tables as well.